John Bauman is a guitar-playing singer-songwriter, Texas troubadour from San Antonio. A member of the Texas all-star band The Panhandlers, his newest solo album, Country Shade, deals with the changing state of rural America, the passage of time, and how it affects our relationships. Country Shade is John's third solo album, and the songwriting reflects a maturation as a songwriter that I hope the Backstory Songwriter listeners are going to enjoy. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and with me today, I have John Bauman. John, you're from Texas originally, right? Yes, Texas born and Texas bred. And we're going to talk about some of your songs here today, and I guess some of them actually relate to Texas. The first one we'd like to talk about is The Country Doesn't Sound the Same. Tell us about this song. I wrote this song at the tail end of 2018. When I write, typically... I kind of fumble around on the guitar until I kind of hear something that piques my interest, if you will. And it's a very simple song musically, but I just kind of found this rolling finger pattern that I liked. I think the mood of what comes from the sound you're making on the guitar indicates the kind of song you should write. So I was feeling something heavy, touch somber, touch reminiscent slash nostalgic. It's probably my favorite song on the record. And I like it a lot because I, I hate to overuse the word clever, but I feel like using the word country in three different contexts was a was a clever, not to pat myself on the back too much or anything. I just thought it was, uh, I hadn't heard it. I know it's probably been done a time or two, but I just hadn't heard it. So I was just, I felt like it was something I should run with. Yeah, that's the hook line. The country doesn't sound the same, the title of the yes. song. Country meaning the country around where you were growing up. It's a song about development, right? Or the change in America. Absolutely. Both of those things. The first verse talks about 
the state of the changing country music you hear on the radio, which is an overused topic. You know, people are always upset about the way mainstream country sounds in the second verse talks about overdevelopment of rural land and finally the state of the of the country that we live in. Yeah, no, that gets heavy there at the end in some respects, but you start on your porch, uh, listen to your dad's stereo, FM radio. Some people still listen to that, don't they? They do. <laughs> Thank goodness. And it, it has kind of like an interesting guitar pick and organ intro. Is it organ? What are the instruments there on that? At the beginning of the song, you hear the uh, guitar, kind of this rolling, picking uh, sound. And then you hear some steel. And the steel is just kind of reverberating, if you will, kind of constantly making an ethereal sound. So it does sound like an organ. Yeah, wow. It fooled me. I, it's got this lonesome yearning sound that clearly sets the mood and communicates an emotion. I think that's what we were going for. Uh, steel has always spoke to me because it doesn't really need a show off like a, an electric guitar does in a way. It can just kind of exist, but it doesn't have to be the, the focal point. It complements. It complements songs well and lyric-heavy songs well. So I'm always eager to have it on songs when it when it makes sense. What I really like about the song is that you have three different choruses, you know, but the same hook line. I just felt like that hook line was something that you might say to a guy at a bar, or you're passing somebody at the gas station and they're complaining about this, and the other guy goes, "Well, you know, the country doesn't." Country's not the same way as it used to be. It's just it's just a common American colloquialism, if you will. Just tying it into different little narratives or vignettes is one of my favorite things about songwriting is paint three different pictures and tie them all together. It's kind of like a math reading comprehension question combination. Is this about a particular place or is this just generally about what's going on anywhere in America? So it definitely comes from a particular place, but I think that's one of the beautiful things is if you can get it to where someone else can agree with you or latch on or identify with it, then that's part of the goal of writing a song is getting someone to identify with it. The second half of the goal is hopefully it's a song that they like, the way it sounds, the way you sing it, et cetera. But in this case, I'm talking about my family land. It's my grandmother's land, but it's been passed down a couple of generations and it's about 35 minutes southeast of Austin, near Lockhart, Texas. It's a pretty large spread of uh, mesquite and black land. It's nothing too pretty, but over the last 10 years, encroachment from uh, mobile homes, gas stations, even a landfill, which is a controversial thing for anybody who lives near a landfill. It's a little bit of a protest towards that growth and development. I really like the concluding part where I fear we're living in the strangest of times where no matter where you stand, you're always on opposing sides. Right. I mean, it seems like there's a lot of that going on in the world <laughs> right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I had originally written the line to be where the people in DC don't seem to have a spine. And it just felt like it came down a little too hard. And right there, you're just, you're losing half your audience or 60% or 40% or whatever. So I backpedaled from that, but that was the original line. And even when I was singing it, it felt a little bit too, like it cut a little bit too much. But I always kind of like going right down the middle of things, never being too far to the left or too far to the right, not just politically, but. You're trying to say, can't we come together here? You know, what's happening to middle America 
and the middle's getting lost. Yeah, that first lands a little heavy, but I think the sentiment of it is to not, obviously it's not to go one way or the other too hard and that it's it's okay to be kind of down the middle or we should maybe work to get back to the middle. So there's a, a bit of understanding or bipartisanship, if you will. I like the word nostalgia. I didn't think of that, but I, that's a great description of this song. It's got a real nostalgia and I really love the harmonica ending. Mm -hmm. The harmonica is like a sweet relief or it's just like an explosion of kind of relief, if you will. It just something releases when you hear that. It's it's like the pain is released. That's what I always thought of. But yeah, you know, nostalgia is one of my favorite themes, not just in music, but in life, because everything's so great and beautiful and sunny when you look back on it. The good times, if you will. They're wonderful. I think about this quite a bit, especially in the last couple of days, but I was thinking, I really do kind of write a lot of nostalgic song, but it's one of my favorite human emotions that you can have. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, the past always seems better, especially like hard times that you survived. You look back and you're like, oh, it wasn't so bad or something. <laughs> exactly. You know, you're, you're exactly right. It's funny how your, your the human mind works like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like, oh, I got through that. That wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. miserable at the time. You know, so we get through this corona situation. It might not seem so bad. Right. Country doesn't sound the same. Anything else you want to tell me about this song? I'm just proud of it. And it's a song that I feel like I'm excited to play for my career. I don't know if when I'm doing this in 20 or 30 years, if people are going to be asking for that song, but it's a song I enjoy playing and a song I believe in. And there's a reason why I put it as the first song on the record, even though it's not a uh, sing-along or a, a rock and roll song. The new record's Country Shade? That's correct. You, how many albums do you have out? Uh, this is my third full-length album, and I have two EPs out. So, third album. It's a lot of work out there. There's probably 50-so songs I've given to the world, if you will. Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. Keep your eyes on the horizon Till that orange fills the sky The world is turning Daylight's burning I know it feels like standing still When you've got so much time to kill And nothing's working And daylight's burning Every inch of distance east to west Shaves an ounce of weight off of your chest there's nothing, nothing you can do I wish there was a better way to say it But this sucks for you Yeah, I liked her too It hurts, it's gonna hurt for a while There ain't a way to skip a couple minutes But the world is turning And daylight's burning
next song on the new album that we want to talk about is Daylight's Burning. So there's a songwriter named Drew Kennedy. He lives in New Braunfels, and he's um, a really fantastic songwriter for your audience who's not aware of him. I'm sure some of them are, but this was the very last song that made it to the record, and I was really, really having a hard time writing, and I usually don't. Um, when I'm really focused, I don't have a hard time, but I needed some help. So I called Drew, and Drew came up to my house and honestly wrote the song in probably four hours. I originally had a different idea for it. Same title, but different idea. We just kind of worked through it. We found an interesting tuning on the guitar, a tuning that's totally unconventional. It's not a standard. Oh, what is it? I don't know what the name for it is, but it's a E, B, F sharp, B, F sharp, B, C sharp. So it's it's different. We'll give that its own name. It'll call it the Bauman tuning. or The, the Bauman tuning, the Daylight's Burning tuning. Daylight's Burning tuning. Yeah. So we wrote this song and it's about... It's not so much I identified with it. I just felt like it was a good song. But it's about a guy talking to another friend, you know, two dudes on the back porch and one of them's going through a heartbreak. And there's another guy that's just kind of like telling him like, just going to have to deal with this. And I had a really hard time using the word sucks in the song because that's not what I do. It is the signature line of the song. When you hear that, but this sucks for you. Yeah, I liked her too. (laughs) Like everybody has said that. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody has felt that, you know, you don't hear that on the radio a lot, but people say it every day. It seems like, you know, it's such a, you know, this sucks for you. And that's exactly what Drew, cause Drew kind of had to convince me, but he, those were his exact words verbatim. Pretty much. These are things you actually say to people. This is what you say to your buddy over after your eighth beer on the back patio, man, like, dude, she's gone. I'm sorry. This sucks for you. And I had a hard time with that because I grew up in a house where sucks was a bad word. Me too, yeah. (laughs) Looking back, I'm glad it made it. And it's funny you mentioned that. I really like that part of the song because I think that's where you bring in the harmonies, right? Yes. That's a man named Wes Hightower who actually, lo and behold, sings with George Strait when George is out touring. So I've used him on the last couple of projects. He's he's a phenom. It's just great because it's such a message line in the song. And then you have the second harmony of that in this Bauman key coming through. It just grabs you. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Um, and I'm really glad I called Drew to help me because I was in kind of a tough spot uh, creatively. So is this about a girl? Is it, it's, it's a, this is a breakup recovery song with a buddy. This is 100% a breakup song. And it's two dudes talking on the back porch late at night. And one's just kind of consoling the other in kind of a brotherly fashion. I can't relate to it. Not now. 20, 21, 20, 19, 18, 17 year old me absolutely can relate to it. But 32 year old me, it's a, it's a person I can't really remember, (laughs) but I know we've all been there. So there's the universality of it. So every inch of distance east to west shaves an ounce of weight off your chest. What does that mean? This is where I'd like to uh, phone a friend, uh, Drew Kennedy, co-writer. I think what he's talking about and what we're talking about there is um, the idea of removing yourself from said person, situation, breakup. The farther you get away, the easier um, the weight of the emotion gets to deal with or it lessens, if you will. But it's only an ounce, you know, it's not like it, it's like, I, you know, it's, 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 it's so painful. It's only a little bit. Yeah. It's not as 
big. It's not as weighty. Yeah, it's not like, oh, I drove to the West Coast and forgot about you. <laughs> <laughs> I really like at the end when you go on the, but the world is turning and daylight's burning when you go up an octave on that and just, and then you come back down when you say it again. It's just really a nice songwriting touch. It's just, there's all these subtleties in your songwriting like that that I just love. Well, thank you so much. That's so kind. Um, it was nice to be able to get close to hitting that note. But um, I have to say again, Drew really helped me with this song. And I'm a guy who writes almost 100% entirely on my own. But I was really grateful to phone a friend. Well, he's the one who told you there's a reason your windshield is bigger than your rear view. That's correct. And that reason is you got to keep looking forward. Absolutely. And the more I think about it, that should be a bumper sticker because it's just sound life advice. It's crazy. Isn't it? It really is. I love that line. That's like for me, other than, but this sucks for you. Yeah, I liked her too. And that's fine unless he starts going out with her. <laughs> yes, then we have a problem. <laughs> I like the whole notes of this song, especially in the beginning, a lot of guitar picking, especially in this one, you have really nice steel guitar licks in between the choruses. We had a really great team working on this record and we had a really great producer. And um, the producer is a guy named Justin Pollard and he's kind of been my right-hand man, mentor, go-to guy, three in the morning and we don't have hotel rooms. What do I do? He's, he's kind of been my guy. So kind of a pseudo manager and producer over the last five years. But he produced the record. And then we had a bunch of guys from the Texas music scene playing on the band. We flew in Doug Pettibone, who played with John Mayer and Lucinda Williams to play on the record. And he was a riot, just hilarious and brilliant. And some of my peers and guys I've worked with over the years in studios. It was a lot of fun. Next song I want to talk about is Fool's Crusade. Yeah. Again, a haunting, ethereal steel guitar in this one, huh? 
Yeah, there's some organ pedaling in this one for sure. You know, when I wrote this song, I really thought this was one of the best songs I've ever written. I can't say now being removed from the album six weeks, seven weeks removed. I don't know if this song has landed the way I thought it might. That being said, when I wrote it, I felt really good about it. And really, this song is, for me, it's a declaration of love. And it's really a dedication to my wife, if you will. Just a man who is completely crazy, foolishly, desperately in love with someone. It doesn't matter what lengths or to what level of insanity or what they have to steal to do. I think writing love song is really hard. I agree. I agree. I don't do it very much. <laughs> you don't do it very much, right? I, especially some people do it really well and easily. I think it's hard to write a great love song. And you know, here you got a great love song. How long did it take you to write? You're inspired by your wife, right? This did not take a long time. This is a song that was written over the course of four or five hours, which is good for me. Really good. So you're done with the song and you play it for your wife. How does she react? You know, I actually don't do that. I'm a little timid, a little shy. We've been married for 10 years. We've known each other for 15, but I'm just a little, I don't know if stage fright's the word, but I've always been a little timid, a little shy about just like performing. Cause I just, I don't know. I don't know if I need the eyes on me or the ears on me or my brain will start going a million miles an hour. Like, okay, you're flat that note. Like it's just kind of like I go to panic town. So I never, I never did that. So this is the first time your wife is finding out that this is a love song about her. You know, it, it feels a little funny to walk up to someone or to your wife and be like, hey, this is a song I wrote for you, baby. Like, you know, <laughs> this girl knows everything about me. She knows the good. She knows the bad. So uh, it's not like I can do anything to make it better or worse. She never asked you, did you write Fool's Crusade about me? She never like you guys never talked about this. No. That this is a love song that you wrote about her. This is the first time on my podcast that she's finding this out. This would be the first time I've audibly said it. I made an Instagram post a few weeks ago when the record came out. And I basically said, thank you to my wife, Alyssa. Track five is for you, you know. But other than that, it, it has not been a conversation, no. But you never played it in front of her and made her cry. And like, I always thought that would be like the dream of being a, a songwriter. Write a great love song, play it for your wife. And man, you're set. Like, what more could a girl want? My wife always says, I thought this was part of the deal with you being a songwriter was that I'd get to hear you play your songs more and things like that. And like, I just wired a little differently. I get it. I get everybody's different. I'm always interested in how the songwriters, it's never been what I've expected. I've always been wrong in my assumptions on this question, on a love song. But it's a beautiful love song. And one of the things I love about the song, Fool's Crusade, the hook line, the chorus, is rhymed with blockade, cascade, motorcade, and parade. Yes. And you have these beautiful rhymes along each verse. And then there's some sort of semi-biblical imagery. Like there's the heavens cascade and the holy parade. Tell me about that. Thanks for noticing. And that's such a great question. And I appreciate that very much. I think of what true beauty is and imagine a waterfall in heaven. It's just hard to top. The exact line is actually escaping me right now. The heaven's cascade, you can't stop a fool on a fool's crusade. From down in Death Valley to heaven's cascade. Now I got it. Okay, so it's just a juxtaposition. Death Valley, I think I equate it to hell. It's hot. You're not going to survive for an hour out there in the desert. That's the worst it can be. I'd still go. Heaven's cascade, the most beautiful place, I'm going. Just a juxtaposition. I have a line about 
the motorcade and um I would take the bullets for your motorcade. You can't stop a fool on a fool's crusade. Right. Just a strict, obviously a Dealey Plaza, JFK, November 63 reference. I'm foolish enough to get in front of those bullets, or I love you enough to get in front of those bullets. It's just desperation. So it's really, really fun to, or it brings me joy as a writer to make rhymes work. They might be a little bit on top of each other, but finding those, what I would consider a great rhyme work is just like, feels so good. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a deep love, man. You'd steal a Vincent van Gogh or a work of Monet, you know, like I'd rob, steal, kill for you, baby. You know, like, <laughs> yes. it's like just such a, I really love this song. If you don't know that already. Well, thank you, Doug. I appreciate it. I love the song too. You have a really nice lingering, shimmering, howling ending there on this. And it's like, it's going to get cut off when people play it on radio. It's just a pedal steel with a lot of delay and effects going on. And I actually videoed Doug Pettibone doing it. And it's one of those things to watch, just move something inside of you. You know, you know that feeling when your chest is kind of swelling and moving around and yeah. it's just kind of a Backstory Song's mission is to help songwriters and their work get found and discovered so they can make a living and keep on creating great songs. The best way to pay a songwriter is to listen to their songs. Unfortunately, with the decline of radio listeners, songwriters who live off royalties do not make the same royalties they used to. Please help out the Backstory songwriters by listening to their songs on our playlist. Share Backstory song episodes with your friends on your social media and encourage them to do the same. By liking and sharing Backstory song on your social media, you'll be helping the songwriters on this podcast. Crazy, awesome feeling. I was listening to that song. I was like, how did they create this? How did you create that? Or how did Doug create this? He's just on a pedal steel. He makes a, a noise on the steel and then he reaches down and he just turns a knob over and over again and then hits it again, then turns another knob. And it's cool. It's all get out. Yeah. Nothing ever come easy I've had to go it alone Sometimes I question If I can hold my own And sleep is fleeting And the days are long Sometimes I wonder If I'm doing it wrong I could use a shot Get a word in edgewise I need to see that silver lining In those dark and stormy skies And pray I catch that feeling That I used to know back when Back when I never knew I'd ever need a second wind I would call up my brother He was still here Ask for his advice Even if it ain't what I want to hear I would call out to God But I forgot how to call It's been so long I doubt he'd know my voice anymore I could use a shot of confidence To get a word in edgewise I need to see that 
Next song we want to talk about is Second Wind from the album. Second Wind is a a song that um, originally I always joked that I'd call myself the Second Wind when I'd go to like a party or something like that, and the party was uh, winding down. The more I thought about it, I was like, there's something to that idea. I think we all go through periods of burnout with everything, and I'm no stranger to burnout with music. The song is really just about dealing with your expectations and where you saw yourself five years ago and maybe you're not there or you're burned out from something and you just need something to keep pushing you forward and you talk to your brother or you pray and nothing nothing seems to come easy for you. So that's the basis of Second Wind. And just saying, I, you know, I could, I could use a little help. Yeah. You got a lot of great lines in this one. I, I gotta say, I would call out to God, but I forgot how to call. It's been so long, I doubt he'd know my voice anymore. One of the few lines on the record that doesn't rhyme with each other, actually, but... I know, I love that. It's a non... I wrote that down. It's a non-rhyme. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's part of my growth as an artist is to step out of my comfort zone a little bit more. And it happens only like one time on this record. Yeah, there's some religious feeling there of... You know, sometimes when it feels like you're praying or you're asking for help from above, it's like you're talking to a, an empty room or just talking to yourself. Yeah, he doesn't call back all the time, does he? You know, this, you know, the personification in this line, I took a look at the moon standing over the shore. I heard the ocean breeze whisper to me, are you ready for more? There's a little bit of tongue in cheek for me personally there. I had a song recorded by Kenny Chesney two or three years ago and um, was riding high, riding high from that. You thought you were going to make it, huh? And honestly, that's like the biggest goal for me is to have songs recorded by big artists. So that was like, you know, we'd kind of hit a really nice spot with where I want my career to go. And then kind of maybe six months, nine months later is kind of like, I don't know if that really has moved the ball forward for me in some ways. And I was kind of going through some burnout, some band turnover, tough times on the road, small crowds. So really, and the song that I wrote is called Gulf Moon. So the tongue in cheek of it is I took a look at the moon. Yeah. It's really more for me than for anybody else. Do you giggle when you play this on stage about that or smile to yourself? <laughs> Find a second wind. <laughs> so John, um, there's any song that you've written and you could pick the ideal voice to record it, what song would that be? Oh, what a great question. What a great question. That's a really difficult question to answer. I think, uh, I think a guy like Jake Owen would do a lot of justice to a song of mine, and I'm blanking on which one, but maybe a song on the new record called Homesick for the Heartland might be a possibility. But if I'm aiming high, I want Bruce Springsteen to sing a, a song I wrote called Pontiacs from my last record, but that's a, a, a probably a bridge way too far. <laughs> you never know. My goal is that someone will get this to Bruce and he'll play it. 
I'm looking at Spotify and your most popular songs are Midland, Next Ride Around the Sun, Homesick for the Heartland, Bible Belt, Loves a Word I Never Throw Around. You want to talk about any of these with me? I know we kind of got some more time. Sure, I'd be happy to. Midland is without a doubt my most streamed song, Far and Away. You come from West Texas in a Mercedes Benz With your Louis Vuitton and your debutante friends your stepmom came with you to watch you unpack She'll go home in the Gulf Stream When it's time to go back to Midland Midland Your daddy He's been working since the day he turned 18 Working for his father, turning crude to gasoline In the great 1980s when the boom came to town And all them big old buildings, they just shot out of the ground Out in Midland Texas at school called TCU felt very out of place for a while there just it's a nice college I'm not a wealthy person by any means and I don't come from wealth but felt a little uncomfortable there with with all the wealth that was around and there was a girl I was fond of and she wasn't very fond of me uh, for whatever reason but after I graduated I moved home and I just I wrote that song in 20 minutes about her and I think it's really resonated in a lot of places Really, I'm just kind of, I don't want to say making fun, but I'm pretty close to making fun of uh, just high society, if you will. And people love it. And it's really strange. All walks of life love that song. And it's one of the very first songs I recorded. My sing a little differently. Didn't really know how to sing at the time. But lo and behold, it's a song we have to play every show. You play in the beginning or to close? Where do you put it in your set? I put it toward the end. 
but it's a simple song. It's not like it's a rock and roll song. So it's, I could have kept those lyrics and put it to better piece of music or a more interesting piece of music. It might be even more popular of a song, but it is what it is. Most popular on Spotify. I think your fans like it. You know, sometimes simple is beautiful. Yeah. And simple works for me. My musical tool shed is uh, not the most extensive. So let's see. What was the next one? Homesick for the Heartland. That song just came out of, you know, with the record recently. And that's on Country Shade, right? It's on Country Shade. And I think people are taken to it. It's hard to really tell in the world right now without going and playing shows and talking to people after the show to know what they think of the record. Because they'll tell you, they'll come up to the merch booth and say, I like these songs. I, this one, I'm not so sure on, you know, but it's a really good way to get upfront opinions. It, it tells you a lot more than. You know, Spotify listens tell you, but sometimes you just go out and talk to people and they'll really tell you what, you what they think. But then no two people's opinions are the same a lot of times on that kind of stuff. So how do you know when a song is done when you're writing it? And I know they're all different. Sometimes they're done easily, quickly, and sometimes you have to work on them for a long period of time. But... It's hard to know when it's really done. I think you got to just trust your gut and say, I feel good about this. I'm ready to go with it. You can always rework it and sometimes that's the best thing you can do sometimes that's the worst thing you can do it's really hard to tell it's like you got to trust yourself and there's been times where i've had a song i think it was good and then i've redone it and i've made it so much better and there's a song where i thought was was good and i've redone it and i made it worse and i wish i had never touched it it's just they all have their own life and they all have their own story and how they come and what they could be 
but maybe they don't get there because they weren't executed to the best of your ability or you got distracted by something in the song. It's very, they're all so different. It's crazy. When did you start writing songs and why did you start writing songs? I started writing songs when I was 14. I'm 32. So I was a sophomore in high school. I had, I was playing high school football and I had torn my leg in a football drill, tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus patella. I was like, tore it up. I was at home on crutches for, I don't know, two or three months. And there was a guitar in my sister's room and I just pulled it out and had picked up a Barnes and Noble's book, Guitar for Dummies, and started learning the basic chords. But that was when I started kind of writing songs. And these were like hokey songs. Like I think the very first song I ever wrote was like called like a streetlight singer. And the second song I ever wrote was called Tiny Texas Town. So like very uh silly. Not a whole lot going on with with depth, but that was so long ago. And then there was a giant gap between, you know, in college I barely touched the guitar. When I graduated and I moved home and I got my first job, I moved to Austin. I really got into it then. It was like, I'm all in. I'm dedicating my life to this. This is what you're going to do. For sure. We're grateful that you made that choice and we're thankful that you came on Backstory Song. I'd like to thank you. Is there anyone you'd like to thank? Is there anything you want to plug? I know we're not touring much these days with the pandemic going on, but uh, besides Country Shade, which everybody should listen to on Spotify or buy a copy of. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. You know what? If anything, if you like what you hear, tell a friend or tell two friends, pass the music on if you can, because I think word of mouth for songwriters and for, for grassroots musical enterprises, word of mouth is so powerful. So just maybe tell a friend or two if you like something. Well, I got to thank you, John Bauman. The album is Country Shade and the rest of your work is also wonderful to listen to on Spotify got to thank DJ Wyatt Schmidt. You're always the best too. And my social media director, Cameron Grace. I also got to thank one of my top fans, Barry Whitco. Thank you for the iTunes like and the nice note. Really grateful for all of our fan support. Thank you very much.